In this AB Talk special on breast cancer, I sit with two fighters, survivors, and one specialist doctor to learn more about this cancer, what it requires from a mental point of view, what it requires from a medical point of view, and we get to know their stories. And I'm sure you will be able to learn a lot as I did. Hi. 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 Um, I'm, I was really, and I'm really, uh, looking forward to this conversation to educate myself as a man and hopefully uh, fellow men and fellow women uh, because I think it is maybe in our region one of the topics that you know is uh, talked about but also taboo in some weird ways and that's why I wanted to have a, a diverse uh, guest uh, group uh, so I have Luz who has a very interesting actually mix. You said you're half Palestinian, half? Colombian. Colombian. Yeah. Um, and a survivor. Is that the correct term? Yeah. Okay. Dr. Uh, Ahuria, who's, uh, I would say, far relative or relative. I'm not sure how close. <laughs> but um, I know that you're one of the first surgeons, uh, especially specialized in, in, in this field. Uh, but I hope I don't say any wrong facts. So I'll leave okay. more, most of it to you. But it's really good to have and I always get this feedback, Anas, you need to get a specialist, you need to get a specialist yes. when you have a special. Because we have covered so many topics, uh, marriage and kids, masculinity, femininity. And I always get this comment, why don't you, one of the guests, let them be, you know, a specialized person yeah. or the opposite gender, which is also usually interesting. Okay. Natalia, I just found out that you also speak Spanish, which is <laughs> interesting. You're also a mix, correct? Yes. Lebanese by blood, Argentinian by heart. I like it. <laughs> okay, so another survivor, fighter, uh, another story. Yeah. So I wanted to really uh, ask some questions, interrupt each other. Uh, wherever we, you feel I'm missing a point, please let me know and you know, let's educate ourselves. Um, to start with, uh, I'll ask to you both, were you ever embarrassed being a cancer patient when you knew you had it at any stage? Uh, I was. I was not, I don't think embarrassed is the right word, uh, but when I got diagnosed, I made sure that everything I did uh, was in a certain way. Like, for example, when I lost my hair, I made sure that I got a wig that looked exactly like my old hair because I didn't want the entire world at that stage to know that I had breast cancer. So I wasn't embarrassed by it. I just didn't want to have to bring it up in conversation with every single person I see. Because I could imagine it's a bit um, annoying. Every person you see, oh, do you have cancer? And then you have to explain the whole story. And then the next person might ask you right and mm -hmm. then it's literally you can just make a voice recording and just play it <laughs> because basically you... basically and at the beginning for me personally um i didn't know what i was dealing with and i felt like there was too much pressure to also deal with everybody's uh, questions and comments or even if they're well-intentioned which obviously they they tend to be but at the beginning of my diagnosis i was not ready for that mm. i then actually became the opposite in the middle of my treatment i became extremely open about my cancer diagnosis but that's because i was already uh, i already knew what i, what I was with. what i was dealing with and i actually felt like i needed support and it was the right decision for me to make at that stage. Mm. Natalia? Well, uh, Natalia that had cancer is different than Natalia today. So 
that Natalia fought it in the version that she knew best by um, hiding everything and making whoever is around her comfortable. Whether when I was diagnosed, uh, I remember my husband broke down in tears before I did. And I had to calm him down. Um, and this, this point specifically, my daughter, who just turned 11, uh, made me realize it. Because she hasn't spoken about my, my journey in six years. And, um, and one day, I, uh, just two days ago, she was like, you know, if I want, I can talk about it. So I gave her, I put uh, my phone and I started recording. And she started talking about me in the third uh, person. So she was strong and she was um, always showing us that everything was okay. But I knew that she wasn't. Mm. So um, I was an expert in masking everything. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like everybody who knew me told me that you make cancer look good. Yeah. Because I used to be, whenever I go out, I'm in perfect shape. And um, that's what I regret the most. I regret not screaming out loud how painful and how, how much it sucks. I was just going to ask you, when you said about your husband breaking down before you, is it one of those moments you're like, I'm already tired? And now I have to look after you before me. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you summarized my life journey. Hmm. I got tired, yeah. I was tired of being the version that everybody else wanted me to be. And when did you break this? Uh, after my second diagnosis yeah. that I intuitively chose to remove my ovaries because uh, the treatments after cancer is the thing that we don't talk about too much and uh, we tick all the boxes we do our chemo our radio and we've done everything that we've asked to do and we've cured ourselves from cancer but the real journey starts when you start healing yourself and it's I love talking about healing more than cancer itself because that's what it is all about. But in the second, uh, second diagnosis, is it out of experience where you're like, fuck it, I'm not going to do ill or do bad to Natalia like I mistreated Natalia the first time. The first mm -hmm. time I wasn't helping myself, the second time I'm going to approach it very differently. I'm, I'm, I became very much connected with myself. I, I practiced meditation and I practiced, I, I give myself the opportunity to connect with myself. So I was starting to listen to my body. And when you are given a treatment and you're diagnosed with having depression, it means that something is not right. Your body is telling you something. And then one day I just woke up and I said, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, when they removed the ovaries, they've checked and they found breast cancer cells in the ovaries, which was undetected. Hmm. So yeah. that was the wake up call. Of course. I'll come back to you. Um, 
I'll give you a break. Doctor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you chose uh, a field. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, I think you're one of or the first uh, Emirati surgeon in this specific field. If if I can make that statement accurately. Yeah. So, um, well, it wasn't planned. It just happened that I ended up being the first female surgeon. And then my specialty um, was breast cancer. So I trained first as a surgeon, then as a cancer surgeon, and then I subspecialized into breast cancer surgery. Hmm. Um, and it, there were reasons for that. Um, the, the surgery I wanted to do uh, probably from halfway through medical school. And when I came back to Dubai, I was working at a government hospital here. And um, in, on the surgery team, I'd be the only female. So not only with breasts, but even with, you know, other uh, sort of um, surgical issues of parts of the body that women don't want to actually show to their male surgeon. So me as the intern, they'd let me come in, you know, behind the curtain with them and I'd have the consultant, male consultant surgeon on the other side and I'd have to describe in <laughs> words what I, what I ex- wow. found on exam. Wow. I really appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would say something like, okay, so does she need surgery? And I'm like, I don't oh. know. <laughs> I'm an intern. I don't know anything, you know. But during that time, I mean, number one, I saw that there was definitely a need for, for a female surgeon. Um, and then I started seeing these breast cancer cases that were just, you know, you just can't even imagine. I mean, a cancer are cells that are dividing, that can't stop. The body has um, lost the ability to stop those cells because all cells divide. That's why our hair grows, our skin is shed. But at some point, um, there's a balance between having new cells and, and the old cells being kicked out. But with a cancer, that, that the breaks are lost. And so cells keep growing and cancers keep growing. And if you don't treat a cancer, it doesn't just wait. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. And, you know, some of the, the most horrific things that you can imagine coming out of the chest of women that it was, you know, as a woman myself, you know, I would literally just like, oh, my God, you know, I've never seen anything like that. And I remember I'd go home and like my, my father's a surgeon as well. So I'd go home and open his textbooks that were, you know, 30 years older than mine. And I couldn't see things like that. I mean, it was just so unbelievably, um, I don't know, just just ancient. Like who who leaves their disease uh, to that extent? And when you think about it, it's right under your nose. Hmm. And these things smell. It literally comes out of your skin. And so you cannot ignore it. You cannot say, I didn't know it was there. Um, so uh, my question was always, well, you know it's there. You must see it every day. You must smell it every day. You must feel it every day. Why have you not done anything about it? Um, and a lot of it was fear because people at that time, so I'm talking you know, over 30 years ago, at that time, um, cancer, especially breast cancer, um, because people presented late, um, their chance of, of a cure was low, so they died. And so in everybody's mind, cancer equals death. So there's that fear. They don't want to find out if they have cancer. And, um, and then there, there is that modesty issue where people don't want to, they don't want to take off their clothes for a male surgeon until they realize, oh my God, this is not going away. So those were the kind of things that sort of, you know, and then, you know, a lot of these women died and, and it was something that I just felt I've got to do something. 
it's you know and luckily for me it was an area that that you know I felt very passionate about and and that's why you know those women those poor women um are the ones that that made me do what I do now and was it um doctor was it a crucial thing to be in this field is obviously yes uh but was it very taboo like to talk about maybe even with fellow doctors to talk about breasts or ovarian cancer uh, by how openly she spoke about it i give you credit yeah. because these things are probably not even used to tongues yeah. to be spoken about yeah, yeah. they're not no, okay absolutely. and as soon as you maybe say it even to a doctor who's male <laughs> yeah. maybe it's like like he would maybe not feel comfortable or become awkward Yeah, I mean I I have to say in the medical field I haven't found it but certainly in in real life in the community in our community um people even once they know they have cancer they don't tell anybody. I've had patients in the last couple of weeks have said to me thank god for covid because nobody's coming over and I don't have to go over so nobody knows I've actually got uh, I'm having chemo for my mm. cancer. Mm. So there's still that thing where um you want to keep it to yourself. Um I And they're, they're also I hide it. I hide it from my family for a month. Yeah. Because I didn't have the energy to explain to them. And well, yeah. I think also because yeah. you're dealing with, you know, the emotions that they both mm. talked about. You know, yeah. I've actually witnessed that when somebody first finds out they have cancer and they say, you know, Anas, I've got cancer. And then Anas bursts into tears. Yeah, and then you, now you, you, you've like... That's the you last thing you want. Yeah. I know. Because you're dealing with your own emotions. It's exhausting. And so that's why you said that, you know, yeah. you have to kind of like deal with your husband, put your yeah. own emotions behind. And that's really not fair, you know. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, the other person's being bad. I mean, no. it comes they from the yeah, place. I mean, they obviously care well so much. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why it comes out like that. Uh... But that's why uh, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people keep it. But there are other things in our community, you know, that you know, nobody'll marry, you know, my daughter yeah. because I've mm-hmm. got cancer, so they think she's going to get it, you know. Wow. That there are there are lots of things like that. And you know, there's always that thing we have this that if you say if you say say it you're going to get it you know yeah yeah there is that uh, yeah. juju like yes. that. <laughs> so they like would yeah so literally they would say oh you know auntie fatima she has you can't actually say it yeah, yeah. it's very true it's like the c word yeah <laughs> it's yeah. Very, it, it makes and everything so awkward but you know i you know i trained in in um, i went to medical school in ireland and i remember when we when uh, when we were you know seeing patients for the first time we had certain rules that uh, we had to abide by and one of it was you never said the c word in front of the patient really yeah wow. so this was even there and so we had all these other kind of words that we would use like the latin word for new growth if we were discussing it in front of the patient but we would never say the c word so oh, even wow. then so it's not that long now that we are more comfortable with dealing with it and we should hmm. the who figures for 2020 is one in two women are going to get some kind of cancer in their lifetime. In their lifetime. Wow. Right? Some get it as babies or infants, some get it as children, some get it, you know, our age, and if you're lucky you get it in old age. Yeah. But if you have a one in two chance pretty bad odds, right? So that's more like when I, not I if. Us- I usually used to um feel blessed sometimes because I I usually used to say thank God it's me. and it's not one of my kids like i'll go through it it's easier yeah mm. I, i used to say that about my parents 
Yeah. When I got it, it was very difficult for me to tell my parents because yeah. I was their youngest child. I was their only daughter. I had just been recently divorced. So it was already like so much for them to deal with. And I got diagnosed four months after my divorce. Mm. So th- calling my mom and telling her and my, and my parents were living in Palestine, so they had just moved and my dad wasn't feeling very well. So uh, there were so many factors that I the first person I called was my brother. I have two brothers and, and my middle brother was the first person I called and he <laughs> it was similar to your husband, but different. When I called him and I told him I was crying and I, I told him I have cancer and he was like, I'm going to have to call you back wow. and he hang up the phone Aww. because he didn't want to cry with yeah, on yeah, the yeah. phone. Yeah. And it's difficult to, to manage yeah. this, that emotion or that situation. Yeah. And, and men, you know, they'll shy away usually. Yeah, of course. And then and he also had to he knew that I was calling him because I, I was obviously I didn't want to call my mom right away. And uh, I, I told my mom about a month later uh, because I didn't want to tell her without a, a game plan. I'm very mm. pragmatic as well as a person. So I if, unless I understand what's happening, I don't feel comfortable. Like I, I'm a very controlling person or at least I used to be now I'm very different because <laughs> uh, cancer is the one thing you can't control so it was like but at that time I was I, f- I felt like I needed to have control over something mm. and if I call my mom and told her I have cancer but I don't know then sh- sh- she'd be like yeah. well, what you do need you to mean? have an educated uh, yeah so I, I told her once I I knew that at that stage at least I knew that I needed surgery mm. so then there was a solution to the problem I couldn't just bring her a problem because then she she might have ah, taken it a different a way. And my mom is very sturdy, yeah. Mm. So when I told her, and I'm like, okay, mom, uh, I got diagnosed with cancer and, and I have to do a surgery, I have to remove my breast. She was like, oh, science is so advanced now, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I built it up so much in my head. And then I had this one be like, don't worry, you'll be fine. And then later on she told me, she's like, you know, when you told me you, have, you had cancer, I just, she's like, I felt it was going to be okay. And you see, you're good. Yeah. Like, thank you. Nice. I Mom's intuition. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, she gave me a lot of strength from afar. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's just amazing how your mind also plays so many games about pressure and other people and oh my god, how am I going to tell my friends? And I was here, you know, by myself. Uh, but I had I've been in Dubai for almost twenty years. So I I graduated school here and university here. So I I know so many people and I have a very very close group of friends. And they were so amazing, mm. uh, but just telling them as well was pressure. And so this is what I mean. Like for me, hiding my cancer was not necessarily because I thought, oh my God, I can't tell anyone. I'm so embarrassed. It was more because I couldn't be bothered. I just couldn't be bothered. I, I work in a public space, you know, I, like I, I work in culture. So a lot of people didn't know who I was. And I didn't want every conversation to be like, so, you know, with that head tilt, so. I know. Um, how's it going? Like, I was not ready for that. But I think it's different stages in the whole journey. So like yeah. you said, in the beginning of the journey, of course, it's, there's so much emotion going on, um, your own emotions, and then worrying, you know, that when you start to tell your family and your friends, you're going to have to deal with their emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I feel people move into a place where, like you said, once you have a game plan mm-hmm. and you know what, what's coming, then you start being a little bit more open and it's almost cathartic to actually then just sit and tell your best friend yes. that, you know, um, here's the story. Because um, I run a support group also for breast cancer patients and I've watched that, you know, when they are most um, keen 
for something uh, like a support group. And with the, sometimes at the end, once you finish, um, there's another stage where women sort of, they want to feel like they're moving on mm -hmm. and don't want to be reminded of it, say right. every month when we have a support group meeting. So it's like, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. I want to move on. Yeah. And then the last stage I feel is where they now want to help other, other people. Women. Yes, other women who are now starting their journey. Absolutely. So it's incredible. All the emotions and, and in terms of, you know, speaking about uh, yeah. <laughs> openly um, how it changes as you go down the journey. That's think, very accurate for me. I, th I think women would have um, saved themselves a lot of suffering if they just realized from the beginning of the road that it's everybody else's business to deal with it. Yeah, You seem very selfless in the approach that you did, which came at the cost of Natalia. Yeah, yani, I need to care of this. I need to make sure this yeah. person not to hurt or not. But I think women do that. But yeah. you yeah. do that and instinctively. It makes me who I am today, which I'm so proud of myself. And at this age, like I feel proud of feeling proud of myself <laughs> because of whatever I went through. Hmm. And uh, the messages that I gave maybe were not the messages that I wanted to give now, but because I've gone through it that way. So for now, for me, it's like even if I get something that I have to face in my life, it's me who mm. has to face it. And everybody else will take it into their own perspective. So, so it's not my job yeah, exactly. to, to soothe everybody else. And I think women, if they come to this realization early on, you know how much we help. save ourselves? <laughs> this, is, this is super important, I have to say, because I feel like, at least in my, in my situation, I felt like uh, a self-sacrificing personality was what led me to almost uh, illness. Like I was, I, was, I was sick for a year. I was, you know, in my, in my marriage, and I speak now very openly about how my, you know, my journey with my divorce while dealing with my cancer as well. I feel like I had a very self-sacrificing personality. I used to say yes all the time. I used to, I never put myself first. And that put me in, a, in, in really, really terrible, situations mm. and it wasn't until I chose myself ironically that I got diagnosed and I felt that it was cancer taught me how to put myself first uh, unfortunately it, it it had to be that way I have no I had no choice over it but at some point I had to really face it in a way that I was like okay what am I going to take this experience and what am I going to do with mm. it because I couldn't sulk I was uh, if I it was very easy for me to dwell in the in the misery and, and, and disappointment that I felt because I was only 31 when I got diagnosed. So it was it felt so unfair. I, I was just I felt like I was just starting my life. You know, I finally got rid of a relationship that I felt was dragging me down for since I was 23. And like there were so many there, it, there was a point that I, I felt like I was at a peak. And then cancer just beat me down, mm. but like, not only beat me down, like I, I, it buried me almost. Like I felt super, super heavy. And I just had to tell myself, listen, this is like, I can't let this define me. I can't let this be the, the, the one thing that is going to make my life experience worthy. Mm. But the opposite is, is, is how I, I, I let go of control because I, I now had to, you know, as a, as a cancer patient, you are giving all these choices at the beginning, which is like surgery versus this versus that. Sometimes it's not even a choice. It's, it's, it feels like that's the only way you can go. And you have to trust your surgeon and your 
doctors and the team that is behind you blindly. Like you don't trust anyone blindly in life. But in this, only in this circumstance, you have to be like, sure, <laughs> whatever you say, I have to do because there is, you don't know better, right? You, it's you, scary. It's, it's absolutely terrifying. I think when, when you get diagnosed, um, there's the medical aspect that we go to a doctor and mine, I, I refuse to do a lot of things that they've asked me to do. Uh, just because I intuitively I had, but not to the other extreme. And I don't talk too much about it, just not to inspire others to do the same. But um, it has to be in parallel. So doctors will tell you what to do to medically get rid of whatever you have in your body physically. But you need to take care of the other aspect. Yeah. The mental, the uh, falling into a victim uh, stage is the easiest way you can do yeah. it. Yeah, you have every reason to. Uh, and taking a pill every day, it's just the easiest thing. Or when you get prescribed that you're depressed, you take this pill and it makes you feel, ah, you're smiling back at everybody else, but you're like from inside. Mm. So I, for example, for me, instead of taking the pill, I chose to go to the gym every day. I used to kick myself out of bed, drag myself and get to the gym because the same effect of the pill, the gym will give, me, give it to me. And in a way, I started going into a certain lifestyle, surround myself with certain type of people. And I think that's the drive that you need to have in order to really cure from whatever you have, cancer being one of them. Yeah, it's the choices that you make that make a difference in how you're going to handle the diagnosis. Mm. And, and don't get me wrong, at the same time, I don't want it to come as a judgment for anyone that chooses differently. Mm. Like I chose a certain way, somebody else chooses another way. I, have, I had a very close friend that was incredible through this process and her choices were very, very different through her journey of, mm. of cancer. And she sometimes used to tell me, I wish I would have, you know, faced it like you and I wish I would have talked about it and I wish I would have... But you also like, you made the right choice, the, the choice that felt right for you at the time. Correct. And there is nothing you can do about that. I, I also, you know, I regret or could have regretted certain choices that I made in the middle of my, of my chemo or of my journey or of my surgery or whatever. But at the end of the day, I, I, I think about it and I, I, I really love and appreciate the woman that I am now. And I don't think this would have happened if I wouldn't have gone through choices. all of that. So. And it was a shit show. I mean, I can tell you that <laughs> from point blank. It was an absolute shit show. But at the end of the day, I learned so much about myself. I actually think it was the only time in my life that I actually bothered to get to know myself. Wow. I you have... see how, sorry, I was <laughs> you see how strong they come out? of the situation. You have to. I, and, don't, I don't think you can. Well, it's, it's Either like you, you said, you go through the easy route, which is, this is unfair. Why me? Yeah. And it's so easy. I can sit down and write a yeah. hundred reasons why. But if you choose to see the half full yeah. part of the glass but and come out. But there's some people that cannot find yeah. that. Yes. 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 That's exactly it. And, and, that's, that's the, that's and it the is main. a grieving process. Yeah. You have to go through all, but some people can't get to the the end where you finally accept. Some people do, but Sorry. I have to say what I what I see with you guys, of course, and with most women, even, you know, I have some very traditional women who come in. So they come in with their husbands, you know, um, with their with their cancer, and you're speaking to the woman and he's answering, you know, that kind of thing. So then I usually ask something like, um, so how old were you when you had your first period? And he tries to answer and I'm like, really? You were there? <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. But I mean, to that point yeah. where literally, you know, that very traditional way that, you know, maybe my grandmother would have been. And, um, and then they go through this treatment because, of course, he can't do it for her. Yeah. <laughs> she has to do it herself. You know, so I don't think he's being bad. He's, he's trying to take some of that on, load. you know, that load himself. But she's got to do it. He can't do it for her. And then when I watch at the end, so a year mm -hmm. later, she marches into my office like she owns the world. It's, it's yeah, like such an so amazing good. thing wow. because for them, for herself, you know, you could just see it. She's bright. And it's like, you know, I did that. I did it. Yeah. I have um, a few points. Um, Natalia, you chose to leave to do your surgery. Yeah. Mexico, I believe. Uh, I escaped. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I was uh, leaning. So how long did you go for? Um, well, it was a tough job because uh, when I was told that I had it, I, they couldn't even tell me what stage was it. Hmm. So the doctor suggested automatically chemo. And I said, why? He said, maybe we'll control the size of the tumor. And I said, how much will you control it? He's like, 80% mm, chance yeah. that it could be controlled. I said, I'll go with the 20. So I'm not doing chemo. I just announced. And everybody else around me just went nuts. Like, what are you doing? So my husband at the time searched and found um, an alternative doctor that is based in uh, Tijuana, Mexico. There's a movie about the guy that goes to Tijuana. Mm. And uh, after 24 hours trip, we arrived in Tijuana, Mexico, and we're standing in front of the clinic, and we're like, shall we go in or we shall <laughs> run away? <laughs> and I'm like, we might as well go in. So um, the staff there, the doctors, um, being in Mexico itself, like I went back closer to my roots, like, because my healing journey is a whole new, it's a book coming out soon, but um, being there, talking the language, uh, nurses used to come next to my bed, hold my hand. Uh, I was in a place where I didn't know anyone. Doctors would take me out for dinners because they knew that I was alone. We made a group of friends. And uh, unfortunately, after two months, um, the tumor didn't react. And I had this condition that every two weeks we do a scan and we see and we assess the next step. Mm. Because letting go is one big lesson that mm -hmm. I used to be the mom that I wake up in the morning and I plan my day every five minutes. What do I do throughout the day? It's like the kids do have this, da -da -da -da, I'm cooking this on top of things. And um, when I decided to leave to Mexico, it was to let go of everything, of my kids, of my house, of my life, of everything. And um, yeah, start a journey from there, basically. Mm. So um, you want to know how I decided to do my surgery there? If you want to share. Uh, <laughs> so we looked for uh, what are the names of the surgeons in Tijuana. We couldn't find them on Google. <laughs> they were not existent. And uh, my husband's like, okay, how do we know if he's good or not? I'm like, well, randomly, randomly in the clinic, a lady comes in and doing her checkups. 
And I'm like, uh, are you in remission? She's like, yeah, I've been in remission for two years, but I did my surgery here. It was amazing. And uh, the doctor, oh my God, the best surgery ever. And I'm like, what was his name? And she said the name. And I'm like, what are the chances of me randomly meeting Absolutely. somebody? <laughs> like a messenger. <laughs> like I turned and I'm like, okay, we're having surgery. <laughs> uh, and I just did it. And yeah. it was one of the best surgeries. Like I hear so many cases of women that lose, um, your, you lose your arm basically because of the muscles they clip. Mm. And some people, like, they have water retention. You can mm. explain more about that as well. And uh, no sensation and whatever. I actually do handstands on it. And I've done weights all the time and, like, normal. How long were you in Mexico? Two months. And you decided to even And I, I, <laughs> I wish I did chemo <laughs> rather than going there. Really? Yeah, it was harder. Mm. It was tougher. Why? Well, uh, it was about um, checking into the clinic every day at eight o'clock in the morning, leaving at two o'clock. And uh, I had a catheter here. Um, so and you get plugged to bags and bags of vitamins and minerals and whatever. But the worst part was that once a week, they get you a glucose shot that activates the cancer cells in your body and then after that they hit you with the 10% of chemo just to localize that but the other part was that they used to put you in a in a box that raises your body temperature not just like hot box like your body temperature raises as if you're having a fever to activate your own cells to to fight that hmm. and um, the the few times that i went into the box i couldn't make it it was the pain that you feel like hits your joints and bones and it's just like drains you so much. So you didn't do any chemo? Just 10% for those two months. Okay. Natalia, um, why do I feel you're still very shook with the whole thing? Like every time <sighs> you speak. I actually, um, I don't want to be remembered just by this. Hmm. It was one of my questions that, uh, that I'll bring it forth because it was coming later mm. in my mind. But um, I mean, does it get tiring? And this is for you to, to, to be uh, labeled as a fighter or a warrior or a cancer survivor as I'm, if it's the only title that does it bother you that you keep? I'm not. I'm not. I announced it. I'm not a survivor and I'm not a fighter. And I don't want to be remembered as a cancer survivor. You feel and it's unfair that people are just putting this once title on you rather than- I do this every October and then I close it and I put it in the drawer. Because I think we are women with so much more than just being a survivor. Mm. And me myself as a woman, I've been a daughter, I've been a wife, I've been a mother, I've had so many roles in my life that I want people to remember me for, rather than being a cancer survivor. Like I've had other experiences in my life which were more impactful on me than mm. cancer. Um, 
from my side, so I don't label myself as a as a survivor, although I do consider myself as a survivor because I went through shit and I survived it. <laughs> um, my chemo was horrible and I had um, I had eight months of, of chemotherapy, uh, 18 sessions, uh, which was it was 18 weeks of horrendous trauma. So I do think that I earned that title. And I also I had two horrendous complications. I had a lung collapse at the beginning of my chemo when they uh, put my port, which is the catheter to, to, for the drugs to go in. Um, I had one, it's a very rare complication apparently, uh, happened to me and I had a lung collapse and they had to try to re-expand my lung. For 15 days I was in the hospital and it was a pain that I had never experienced because I never experienced like breathing to be difficult. Uh, so it was horrible. And then I had neutropenia. So my uh, white blood cells were 0.1, completely depleted. I had a fever. I was uh, hospitalized for five days eating from plastic plates. Nobody could touch me. So it was like COVID. coronavirus 1.0. <laughs> <laughs> I wore masks before it was way cooler. <laughs> uh, it was horrible. Uh, my neutropenia actually Funnily enough, my transition from not talking at all about cancer to talking to the whole entire world about cancer was after I went neutropenic. So after I was in the hospital, hospitalized for the second time, because uh, I received, uh, I had to receive two blood transfusions because my red blood cells were completely depleted and they had to change the course of my chemo because they realized initially they were going to give me another two drugs that were stronger than the ones I was taking. And then they realized, well, if she's reacting like this to the ones that we're giving her, then the other two are She became gonna... a doctor. I know. You yeah. do. You become They become doctor. so good. <laughs> I promise you. And at, at some point, like I was, I was in the doctor's office. Doc my doctor thought that I was such an interesting character. He found me fascinating because I used to go there and I used to like write everything down because I felt like knowledge was power for me. Like whatever I, if I understood what he was giving me, then I would be able to bear the consequences better. Because chemo is a whole different ball game, to be honest. It's, it's just every week you don't know. It could be the first six weeks of my first six chemo sessions were like, oh, I was like, this is it. Cool. <laughs> I just lost my hair. And I was, I was doing photo shoots. Like you can see them <laughs> on my Instagram. I was like modeling bold, living my life. And then week eight hit and... I was hospitalized and uh, the doctor, they, they tested me for every virus and bacteria possible to make sure that I didn't have anything attacking me because I had no defenses. I experienced pains in my body that I didn't know that that was possible. At some point I felt like my jaw was gonna, like I was getting pulled from my jaw. It was the weirdest thing uh, because I had no immunity basically. And, and my body was getting bruised. Like I would do this and I had bruises because my platelets were low. It was just horrible. I felt horrible. And I was hospitalized for, for five days and I, I felt, I really felt like I was not going to make it. You wrote, um, hmm. <laughs> I'll give you that second. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was a hard time. Why did you get emotional about it though? Because it was hard. Really yeah. hard. We, we relive it actually every October. I, I relive it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And that was a really, really hard time. And now because you talked about it, you remembered certain things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It comes, uh, it flashes on your memory a little bit. And it was a really hard time. It was just, um, 
it was it was tough. It was really tough. I felt I never felt so sick in my life. So it was it was difficult. And it was then that I decided that I'm gonna tell everyone that this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I did. I wrote uh, my first blog post and that I... That was exactly the point I was going to ask you, <laughs> the blog. <laughs> yeah, I, I st- I, so I started writing. Writing has been a part of my life uh, always. Uh, since I was little, I, I wrote and, and I journaled a lot. And uh, um, Kareem is a cancer survivor too. <laughs> so I think he... You okay, Kareem? I think you reminded him of his experience. Yeah, right? maybe. <laughs> it's okay. I know it sucks. <laughs> it's really terrible. And now he has the most beautiful hair in Bukhash Brothers. I know. He does, by the way. If he removes his hoodie, he's going to see oh, it completely. I saw it. I saw it. I, saw it, yeah. I was admiring it. You, no, not no, at all. No, you didn't no. at all. Not at all. You're as much a... <laughs> We stopped at your blog. We stopped at my breakdown. Uh, <laughs> joint. <laughs> yes. Uh, the blog was um, something important, and I'll tell you why. But I want to know when um, you start. Okay, so my 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 blog. Yeah. So this was. Um, I basically published what I was already writing, um, and and my first blog post uh, was inspired also by. I did a photo shoot. So no, seriously, I, <laughs> these photo shoots were important to me because. Uh, my best friend is a photographer, and, and I did this photo shoot, uh, bold, and it was a it was a high end fashion shoot, and um, the photos were so powerful. Like honestly, like everybody that we showed them to, and felt like it was such a powerful photo. I was bold, obviously, and and I felt like I I really came to myself or to accepting my journey with cancer at that moment, and. Um, I really wanted to publish those photos because I felt like it would make a difference to somebody else seeing them. And, and to you? Um, and to me, of course. So uh, I didn't want to. And then, obviously, um, shit hit the fan. <laughs> and I ended up in the hospital. And I, when I felt threatened, almost, when I felt like uh, I, I, I don't know what my life is going to be like moving forward, am I going to be okay? Am I not going to be okay? I was like, well, let me tell everyone that I have cancer. And I published my first post and uh, it was overwhelming. It, the, the amount of, of support that I got and also, uh, you know, because I've been here a long time, like I said, there were people who contacted me from high school and university and people I haven't heard from in a very long time. And, and the beauty of it was that people were coming to me with their own stories of mm-hmm. hardship and survival and not necessarily even with cancer, but mm. I realized that vulnerability or allowing people to be a part of your vulnerability, it's, it's such a gift. Hmm. It, it cut the beauty of me telling everyone that I had cancer was that it cut out the small talk. Yeah. And Dubai is a city of a lot of small talk. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, this got erased. Like there was no longer the, hi, so what do you do? Like, and I personally don't like, that, that's one of the things that I, don't like about sometimes getting caught up in the social scene here is that you get a bit too you don't get deep enough with people but once you show vulnerability magical things happen natalia you're shaking your head or nodding your head yeah 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 no i think it's important for for us especially women to allow 
to be seen as uh, vulnerable. Hmm. I don't want to say weak, because also <laughs> weak is a weakness, <laughs> but vulnerable. Yeah, I Vulner- think that vulnerability is beautiful. We get affected. We uh, although we let everybody see that we're tough and we can go through it, but it's good to also let people know that it's hard. Yeah, and it takes an effort. Yeah, and we put our heart and soul to make it look good. Hmm. And for me, it was a very strong message for my own daughters. Like, um, although you know that everybody says, "Oh, my mom had it." Mm-hmm. The first thing I told them is that I did my Brack test, uh, and genetics. it's not genetics. So I was very clear that they are not having breast cancer because I had breast yeah. cancer. And they don't have that in their minds. They're not expecting it. Yeah. So. Doctora, um, on a side uh, topic, a lot of uh, stories that I hear, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's not cancer related or cancer related or surgery or an ACL or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You hear doctors, and, and I watch documentaries a lot, and you'd see the person who fell in this uh, issue or challenge say that the doctor said I had this small percentage of surviving or to walk again or to live. Or, and I hear it over and over. And, and I don't over. know who these doctors are. This is my <laughs> point. Based on gone. what do you say that? You don't. Like, I mean, why would the doctor say, I think you have 17%. How did you get 17? No, but I don't know who says that. But I mean, have I, you I, heard I see, of it? It's so uh, yeah, often. Yeah, in Hollywood, I see doctors saying you've got three months to live. And I'm thinking, yeah. how do you know? I mean, I personally I've have heard it to aunt direct that had people. days to live and she lived 22 years. You know, I mean, you, you just cannot say I it. I find it. Okay, please correct me if I'm wrong. When I hear, I've heard it too, that friends heard this from their doctor, right? Yes. And I find it so irresponsible yes. of the doctor yes. because kind of like Luce said, when we go to a doctor as normal people who don't have the PhDs in <laughs> medicine, we go at the mercy of the doctor. The doctor says, I think uh, you have a, a, a squirrel in your brain. I'm like, oh, really? Which color? You know, I wouldn't yes. know. Yeah. Whatever he says, I'd be like, oh, okay, because I'm clueless yeah. in this field. So for that powerful being or knowledgeable being or specialist mm-hmm. to come and say, I think your chances are bleak. Yeah. I could only imagine how a weak person that doesn't fight and is stubborn, mm-hmm. it could break them. Like if he already had a, a small level of optimism, now it's shattered. But I'll tell you something fun. And, and you, can, you can tell me why this happens because this happened to me okay. and it really upset me. So I had a I had a run in with with a doctor like mm. a serious problem mm. because he did not give me my uh, treatment plan in full and that upset me. So basically, you know, when when you when they give you a treatment plan for chemo, so in in my case they told me, okay, you need to do at that time it was um, I think twelve. 12 taxol, or and then taxol. Four, and then yeah, taxol carbo. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't tell me about the 4AC. Right. So they told me, you need to do the 10 taxol carbo. And I was like, okay. So I was preparing mentally. I'm going to do surgery. And then, and then I have 10 weeks of chemo and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. So in my head, again, pragmatic. Like I'm very pragmatic. So in my head, I was like, I need to deal with this for this four period. months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm done. Then my, you know, my port situation happened or I had the lung collapse on the first on my first chemo this happened the first session of my chemo I had my port put in into me at 6 a.m and my lung 
collapsed uh, in at literally 6 p.m. like in the next day actually mm. two days later and I didn't know because another thing is that unfortunately the doctor also did not explain the side effects to me properly of the surgery mm. and I had shortness of breath and palpitations for two days and I thought it was the chemo so I was like this for two days and I had no idea on the third day I go back and I tell my doctor I have the situation I'm not feeling well so he takes me to do an x-ray and it turns out I have to go into ICU. Oof. So that was a wow. Yeah. And because of the situation, then the doctor came and, and when he was talking about the treatment plan, then he goes like, blah, blah, blah. So then, you know, the 10 weeks of taxol, da, 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 and then you have four weeks of AC, four, four sessions of AC every three weeks. That extended my, so he extended my, my, my deadline by 12 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What just happened? So I was in shock and I got so upset and he apologized to me and he told me that they do not sometimes give the full treatment plan to the patient not to overwhelm them. Oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, do you know who you're dealing with? Like, I'm sorry, you sh- fine. I understand if, if you know, if the, if the patient... I, no, actually, I don't understand. But like for me, <laughs> it was such a, I was so upset. And I was already so upset at the medical system because I had had, you know, they didn't tell me about this and I ended up in the hospital. So I was not happy. <laughs> I, I, I was exactly the opposite. How so? Tell me more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so? Like I was a control freak. But when they told me that you have a tumor, how big? This big. I'm like, okay. What do I have to do? He explained the whole thing. He was talking and I was like, not listening. Mm. And I went home and the first thing I typed on my laptop was how do I heal from cancer? Until today, I don't know what type of cancer I had. I don't, I knew only stage two because after they removed the tumor, uh, I didn't know what were the side effects of the chemo. I don't, I didn't research. Mm. So what is it that can help you to know what chemo is doing to your body. Uh, so whenever I was plugged, I was imagining visualization, power of the mind. Mm-hmm. That's my specialty. Um, the chemo targeting only the bad cells and empowering the other ones. Mm. Um, I, uh, with radio as well, like it wasn't, nobody tells you what will happen to you exactly until you are there. So. Um, then the fact that after four weeks of chemo, I, I used to have Thursday nights was party night <laughs> because I used to finish my chemo and the energy that you feel, it's like, forget about drugs. I haven't done drugs ever, <laughs> but it's, you, it's have this, you have yeah, this boost of exactly energy that I couldn't sleep until four yeah. o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I'm like, you know what? Every Thursday night, party. we're going out, party night. <laughs> And oh then the next God. two days you're in bed, <laughs> forced energy. So doctor, yeah. what do you think? So, I mean, okay. I mean, I, obviously I can't, uh, the, I can't the answer for the, the specifics, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> you know, first of all, it's, it's truly a privilege to take care of the patients I take care of. Cause as you heard, they literally have to let go and trust you implicitly um, with their life. Mm. whether it's the chemotherapy doctor or me, you know, I'm the one who does all the cutting and they literally just do it. They have no idea. Most, most of my patients are not surgeons. So it is a, it is a real privilege. 
And the role that I see myself in is, you know, I'm a very honest dog. I don't believe in hiding things from people. And I do often get asked by family members um, not yeah, to tell not to tell my mom that she has cancer because, you know, she will collapse. Mm. And I'm going, no, I'm telling her. I mean, there'll be a way to tell her, but I'm not going to just go, hey, you know, you've got cancer. But I don't believe in hiding things because it's not what I would want to. You know, and I think most people, as whatever the news, even if it's bad news, I think you want to know, even yeah. if it's really bad news, because you want to you want to have things ready in order, whatever. Absolutely. So there is that part of me that wants to be honest, but my my job is also to give hope. So oh. I, I and it's not difficult to do with breast cancer. As I said, it's a good cancer, so I can often give hope. But there are days where I'm really dragging, trying to find something in this sea of bad news. Like, what can I find to tell this woman that it's going to be fine because it's this or, you know. So it is actually quite a difficult job. Yes, I, can, I, I, I actually can't imagine. Yeah, your words are, yeah. they're listened to with every cell of that person. Yes, I know, I know. So it's um and and you know and, and of course we're not god so i can't do the you know you've got three months to live even when people are really at the end of their lives it's not something that we can say mm-hmm. you know we can just say things are not looking good disease is progressing whatever but as i said you know i've had an aunt you know who's supposed to be dead in, in days and she lived 22 years so yeah i still to this day don't do know how but it ha- you know i'm not god Whatever, you know. Doctor, do you think, um, Natalia also kind of touched on it, uh, whether it's power of visualization, whether it's being very pragmatic mm-hmm. and organized, the mental side of all of this. Yeah. That's how lot. crucial is that for somebody to actually heal and get over it? And, yeah. uh, and I'll, I'll tie this uh, question with another question where uh, when people are dying, even my grandmother, Allah I remember my mother Tell, going to her and telling her in her ear, it's okay, mama, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And I think in 24 hours, my grandmother passed away. Yeah. So why I connected those two situations is because it's the power of the mind. If the mind wants to survive and, yeah. and stay and fight, they usually do. Yes. Unless maybe it's really bad. Yeah. And they even when it's really bad, yeah. they're still there. Exactly. Unless they say, you know what? I'm fine. I'm, I think yeah. my family's fine. Yeah, I'm ready. Exactly. And that's why the hope is so important. You know, that's why, you know, I try as much as I can. And as I said, sometimes it's not easy because the situation is not uh, hopeful. But um, it's important that people have hope no matter what. And I've forgotten what you asked now. <laughs> the, the, my point was the question whether giving, you know, uh, that oh, person health. the mental yes. power yes. and the hope. Yes. And how powerful it is even yes. on the other spectrum. So I think you can see even from Natalia and from Luth that it's, you know, everybody's different. Um, and what they need for their own mental health is different. Some people need the pill. Some people need, and I think what she does is great. I, I love, and I, that's what I tell my patients to do, is to visualize, you know. I say, I, I want you to visualize too. this thing. Because people, you know, when they have chemotherapy, they think this toxic, it's killing me. I tell them. Taxol comes from a tree. 
Yeah, okay? it does. It's very natural. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want, and it's coming in there and it's going to kill those cancer cells. And that's what I want them to do is to visualize it. And, and people always ask me, but what if this and what if that? And I tell them, look, I believe if you don't put bad things out in the universe, it doesn't come back. So we're not even going there. We're just going to talk about here and now in the positive, mm -hmm. you know. But everybody's different. So Luth likes to be organized. She wants to know, right, I'm finished this. Next week, I'm doing this. The week after, I'm doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't know why, unless he was thinking um, of, because you know, there are two, you ended up having a different uh, regimen. Yes. So sometimes <laughs> people can't decide. And I have seen that with the oncologist where um, they haven't completely decided in their mind if they're going to give you the Taxol plus AC or if they're going to give you the longer course of Taxol. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I ended up taking the lo the longer course, course of yes. Taxol, but because of my neutropenia. It was yes. because um, he didn't, yeah, but he sometimes very, made a very good judgment that my yes, body exactly. wouldn't have <laughs> taken AC. So, yeah, so the mental health is very important. And I think um, it's something, uh, interestingly, I mean, obviously, as I said, there are stages in the whole um, grieving process. You know, you go through the... I mean, some people pass through it very quickly, but, you know, people get depressed, they get angry, they, they bargain, they, they go through all the different stages. And, but uh, interesting, what I find is that, you know, there's that initial kind of shock in the beginning when you have the diagnosis. And um, like you said, people talking and you don't, you know, it's going out there somewhere. And then you get ready and you're doing it because you have to do it. And then it goes pretty quickly because it's week after week and the next week and the next week and then mm -hmm. surgery and then chemo and then, and it goes, it goes, goes like this. And I find that at the end, when I go, right, see you in three months. And then they go, and that's when it sort of hits them. Mm. And that's when I see the depression is when it's like, oh my God, what did I just go through? And that's yes. when it's important, I think, to then, you know, encourage them to do whatever they have to do for their good mental health. That's how I see it anyway. I think uh, personally, yeah. personally, I feel like mental health is important in every stage. But for me personally, uh, going through because chemo puts you in such a state of almost like survive in quite a survival mode actually like you're just focusing on like feeling better and especially towards the end of chemo you you're very very tired i couldn't like towards my last two sessions i could barely make it to the bathroom by myself and i always one thing is that if somebody's going through active treatment it's really really important that they go to the appointment with somebody else because of the situation where it's happened to me as well that the doctor sometimes says things and you're not really listening mm. and sometimes a lot of those things are things that actually matter in your process or in your in the things that you have to take so i made sure from very early on that i wouldn't after going alone a couple of times and feeling horrible and also like leaving and entering into a rabbit hole of Google because I, I am that person. Mm. Um, it's not always the best thing to search it's on. Not. It shows that's, you like that's, the worst cases. Yes. That's another exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. The internet I, is biased the to the next Very. Yeah. Um, the one thing that did help me uh, at the beginning was uh, I happened to know a survivor um, that was on, on a later stage than me and she was already uh, finished with chemo and she was in the middle of her immunotherapy treatment she has had she had also been diagnosed with the same type of cancer that I did mm. um, she was a little bit older but uh, we I called her and I told her to please sit down with me and tell me everything and she sat down with me for six hours and she told me everything 
she told me i asked her like to the i needed to know i needed to set i am that person so again everybody handles it differently but for me sitting with somebody and also looking at maria and and seeing her she had her pixie haircut you know she looked like me let's say three four months ago it gave me it gave me a light at the end of the tunnel mm. i looked at her and i was like okay you're done mm -hmm. like I, that's gonna hope. be me in a year so that really helped me mm. but then the other side of it is actually my mental health deteriorated after treatment. Yeah, that's what I find. So what happened was that because I was in such a go, 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 and uh, you know, unfortunately I also lost my dad in the middle of everything. So my dad also passed away right after I, did, after I finished chemo, like a few months after. So I was on all of this like trauma after trauma after trauma, and it didn't hit me until the beginning of this year, like until actually the pandemic, like I think the pandemic was one of the the slowdown of everything and the lack of distractions and everything. I realized, whoa, what did I go through? Like it's been only two years since I got diagnosed to mm. now. Mm. And I almost couldn't believe everything that I was going through. And it was now that I decided that, uh, you know, I started therapy and I am a very spiritual person. So I also used to do visualizations and I meditate and I do shamanic breath work and I do so I did a lot of sound healing, which I found very effective for what I was looking for before my surgery. And I think you need to find whatever works, works for you. Sorry. And for me, I, I, I was, I'm very open to try. I did a beautiful yoga course here in Dubai that was uh, led by a survivor. That was a cancer recovery yoga course. Because at the beginning, after my chemo, my bones would hurt me so much that I couldn't do a, a body squat. And I was, uh, I was, I've always gone to, like I've gone to, to the gym for the majority of my adult life. And uh, I, I was so worried about myself. And now I like deadlift, like <laughs> I'm totally fine. So my point is that you also have to give your body time to heal. And for me, I had to remember that it was a process. I'm very impatient. Mm. So I wanted to finish chemo and tomorrow to like, be loose again and be Go fine again. Go to Natalia's again. party. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I wanted to call oh, Natalia on Thursday. <laughs> Natalia, you wanted to comment on what the doctor said. Uh, yeah, sometimes people give, give um, my number to a stranger that I've never met. And I get this phone call and I got, I just remembered one lady. Uh, she called me and she said, uh, this is my fourth time having cancer. And I've never met her in my life. And I said, um, and what has happened? Like, what have you done the first time? What have you changed in your life? And she said, well, not much. I said, okay, what have you done the second time? And the third time. And the fourth time was actually in her mouth. Cancer hit her mouth. So then I said, um, well, do whatever the doctor is telling you to do, but go and sort yourself, like go and heal. And this is a very strong message for me. Like I want people to heal, heal themselves, but cancer is an opportunity that makes you literally stop, literally. Like whatever priority you have in your life, yeah, you're threatened by your ceasing to exist. So maybe that's an opportunity. Mm. And a lot of us, 
take it as that. And that's what we turn the game and we start digging and we start seeing. Mm -hmm. So now for me, now I know exactly why every incident in my life has happened and what's the lesson behind every single incident. And I know the good parts of my life, the fun parts were there for a reason, but I know why I had to suffer and what I had to go through so much pain in order for me to understand something in terms of relationships, in terms of connection. And um, it's very cliche, but at the end of the day, our lives is a journey to experience love in so many different ways. The love of a child, the love of your mother, the love of a husband, the love of a friend, and I used to envy people who used to tell me, I feel so much love inside, it's pouring. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like, I don't get you. I literally don't get you. And now, after six years of being in remission, now I can say that I'm alive. Hmm. What would you say... Um... I'm going to try to summarize so we don't uh, stay too long. Um, what would you say was the hardest part of all of this? No, oh, oh, there's a lot. I'm sure. Which one <laughs> um, emotionally was maybe very difficult? To be very honest and very raw, not loving myself enough. Hmm. Doctor, what is the hardest thing for you? For me, as I said, it's, it's sometimes trying to find that one thing that I can pull out to make somebody, to give somebody the hope that they're actually going to be fine, um, because sometimes it's just not there. Yeah. But luckily for me, you know, uh, and for them, uh, with this particular type of cancer, yes, you go through some horrible um, times and and you know pain and whatever but um it is actually a better cancer to have than others mm -hmm. and i think um one of the other things i wanted to say was t about husbands mm. um i often get husbands come to see me without their wives um and their question is usually what can i do and husbands men are very strange creatures because <laughs> They're used to doing stuff, Correct. you know, they change the light bulb when the bulb is gone and they fix the car and, you know, it's always like, Solution. you know, yeah, but the problem is they're now faced with something they can't fix, Correct. you know, and so they're, they're lost, literally lost. Mm. They come and they tell me what to do. And I'm like, give her a cuddle. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? And I'm like, that's all. She's not expecting you to take her disease away. She's not expecting you. Just give her a hug, give her a cuddle. That's it. So important. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Luz. So that's for the guys. Hardest. The hardest thing for me was surrendering to the process. For somebody who kind that's, of is a, a project, project manager. Yeah. <laughs> that was really difficult for me. Mm. Um, just giving up control. That was, uh, but at the same time, even though it was the hardest, it was the biggest lesson of my life, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm not going to ask if you think cancer made you look at life differently, because I think there's an obvious answer to it. Everybody will say, yeah, I looked at life differently. But what is the most valuable thing for you now 
in life other than health because I think health is maybe hands down for all of us it's the most beautiful thing is to be healthy definitely uh, you know but what is the most valuable thing for you gratitude for me um, I realized that I was ungrateful before wow Uh, not ungrateful no ungrateful but what I mean by that is that I did not really have perspective over what was truly important to me and I took a lot of things for granted and a lot of people for granted and a lot of situations for granted and I think now uh, to Natalia's point as well I value myself very highly and I realize that that also means being grateful to myself Mm. for healing for allowing myself the space to heal for continuing the process of healing, because obviously I'm not nearly done, but also to just be grateful for everything that I have, all the opportunities that I've had, my family, my friends. At the end of the day, what got me through cancer was love. And um, that is just the reality of my situation. What got me through it was the love that I felt from others, from other people. And I know that that's a privilege. Mm. And I want to take care of it because it was, it was because of them, it was because of my friends and my family that I realized that, you know, I must have done something right in my life if I'm receiving so much love. And I wasn't giving myself the same love that I was receiving from other people, which was is kind of insane. So I realized that I needed to feed myself that love and that allowed me to give it to others. True. Uh, Natalia? Um. I think um, it's the absence of fear. Hmm. boy boy. Don't want to see you again. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Bye. I, I think I've released it. I've, hmm. uh, when I was diagnosed, that was the key factor in my recovery. I wasn't scared of cancer. Hmm. I just wasn't. Like it wasn't there. Is that in denial of no, cancer or like or? it didn't threaten me? Hmm. I knew that I was getting over it. It was a lesson. It was another lesson in my journey. Journey that I had to take. What would you title your my book? Your life at the, no book will leave it special. <laughs> <laughs> what would you title where you are today? Um, the next chapter or the current? I don't like next. Let's say the current chapter in your life. You know, I called myself uh, Mrs. Positivity on social media mm. just be after I finished my treatments. Okay. And uh, actually, it's funny because I launched Positivity, which is a mindfulness um, academic curriculums for youth mm. to teach them mindfulness, self-awareness in a school setting. And I launched that in 2013 when mindfulness was not existent in Dubai. Mm. And I signed my company in 30 schools in Dubai. Our daughter did it, by the way. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I rolled a team of 10 yoga teachers. It was a logistics operation running after-school activities in 30 schools. Yeah. And then uh, June 2014, just the the year after, I got diagnosed. Wow. So I was positivity before cancer. So then when I finished my treatments, I said, I think I earned 
the title. <laughs> and I, with all confidence, I'm going to call myself that. Okay. And it's being positive, yeah. Okay. Doctora, with all of your uh, wealth of experience, <laughs> what would be the title of your current phase in your life? Oh, wow. Um, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure. Shrink it. Hmm? Shrink it. Shrink your life. Um, no, I think it's more about uh, living your life. I think, you know, uh, we all, certainly uh, working, we get into the habit of being in control. Mm. Um, and I think um, it is good to let go. I have a lot of faith. Um, I believe, you know, when we are told that, you know, uh, that God will never give us anything that we can't handle. handle. And I believe that. Mm. Um, and I see it every day, as I said, even with people um, who can't. So resilience, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Lewis. It's a really tough question. Uh, I read, I read something that really helped me through everything and it was that um it, it was a, it was a poem that said my demolition is not in my hands but my reconstruction is and i really felt that way about my journey uh, but right now i think uh <laughs> i think it's fuck it yeah. <laughs> i'm kind of in that <laughs> nice. i'm in that kind of stage in my life where i just um I'm trying to even let go of even more things that I felt are weighing me down. And I, I think right now, really, I'm, I'm trying to use this opportunity of, of, of the, the current situation that we're living, which is not the best for any of us. But at the same time, it's giving me the gift of time, which I haven't had in a very long time. And, and I'm trying to use it to deal with some of that trauma and deal with a lot of that trauma actually and and deal with a lot of those things that i feel like are making me afraid unlike natalia i unfortunately haven't shaken the fear Come. yet <laughs> so yes i'm like Thursday party, Thursday party. <laughs> because um i did uh, fear of recurrence and, and and fear of you know i i do feel like i'm experiencing some sort of survivor's guilt in a way or like something is stopping me mm. from like really going loose 4.0 full out so I'm, I'm 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 trying to really apply that kind of fuck it mindset like you okay. don't like this then fuck it move on <laughs> do something else that's kind of what I, it's where a good I'm filter at. to have yeah honestly really it's a good is. title of a book yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a sellable title um i just want to thank all of you i know we passed the hour but uh, you educated me and I think you're going to educate and not only educate, inspire from a very specific, specialized point of view. I know you have the wealth, wealth of experience with so many beautiful women, different variety of personalities, different mm -hmm. types of hopes, different dealing. Yeah. Like, I love how this shaped up. You see a completely different uh, <laughs> methodology and that's the beauty of yes. humanity. Yeah. And then a completely different yeah, methodology works, here. Uh, yeah. And that's what I say about everything. There's no one size fits all. Exactly. Uh, so thank you, Natalia, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank I hope you, you enjoyed it too. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. voicing. Sorry, you were saying? It was heavy, huh? It's, it's a heavy topic. It was heavy. Yeah.